Hello, my name is David Price and welcome to the seventh Labour Leave podcast. In the studio with me today is Brendan Chilton. Hello, Brendan. Good afternoon. And John Mills. Hello, John. Hello there. We're kicking off today with the news that Unite has said it is open to the possibility of a second referendum. Uh, Brendan, that's a bit of a bombshell, isn't it? Well, uh, of course, Unite is the Labour Party's largest affiliated trade union and also its largest uh, financial backer. And uh, Len McCluskey, the General Secretary, is very, very close to Jeremy Corbyn. If you actually look at the detail of the uh, motion that was passed at the conference, uh, it's actually uh, no real change in their policy. However, it's slightly more nuanced and the language is far more sort of earing towards Remain. Uh, The motion itself says that the Unite Union are open to the possibility of a people's vote on the final deal, but it goes on to say that only under the approach or, I believe, right political circumstances. Now, that, of course, can mean anything to anyone at any point. However, the fact that this has now been reiterated and voted on at the conference does mean that uh, the Remainers within the Labour Party and those people that haven't accepted the outcome of the referendum will uh, receive some confidence and a boost, really, to their activities and energies uh, on this front. And for those of us uh, within the party uh, that actually say, well, the referendum has now happened, um, we should get on with it and support the government in trying to negotiate a good deal. And actually, the majority of the Parliamentary Labour Party do fall into that camp. This is a bit of a blow, but we shall carry on campaigning, and I'm sure, uh, in the end, a sense will prevail. How do you think that's going to play with the voters, given that so many Labour voters uh, actually voted Brexit? Well, if you look at the uh, 2017 uh, general election, of the 14 million votes that Labour got, around 5 million of those were Brexit voters, and they were heavily concentrated in Wales, uh, in the Midlands and the North East. Now, uh, if you look at the opinion polls at the moment, um, you are seeing that since January there has been an enormous shift in the level of support Labour has received from some of the poorest voters, working-class voters. Uh, I think it's C2D which is the category that defines that group. In January of this year, 2018, Labour was on around 44 or 46 points. We're now down to about 34, 36 points. Uh, The Tories have enjoyed a bounce, uh, and in January of this year, they were on about 33. They're now on about 40. And so that demographic voted heavily for Brexit. Labour's message on Brexit has been, at best, uh, confusing uh, throughout the uh, negotiation period. And I do think we can really draw a parallel and say the decline in support amongst that group is as a direct result of the uh, mixed messages coming out of the Parliamentary Labour Party on the Brexit negotiations and what our policy is going to be going forward. John, do you think that's uh, fair to say? Unfortunately, I think it is the uh, case that uh, things are shifting very much, as Brendan has just said. Um, And I think there are two really important factors to kind of highlight about this. One is that Labour is very dependent on its uh, core vote, working-class people, if it's ever going to have uh, an opportunity to become the government again. And if we lose all these uh, people in Wales and the Midlands and the North as a result of the sort of changes which um, Brendan has described, it's going to be quite hard to get them back again. And uh, even if we pile up bigger and bigger majorities in some of the seats like London and Canterbury, that's not going to do us any good if we lose seats in... Mansfield and Middlesbrough. So there's that factor. The other is that I think it just underlines 
to some extent the gulf that is opening up between a lot of people in the Labour Party who are middle class, you know, very well educated, quite young, very internationalist, uh, metropolitan, uh, with the the gap between those people and Labour's traditional supporters, which are much more nativist, much more concerned with local communities, trade unions, cooperation, all this kind of thing. Uh, and really, Labour can't afford to have that gap opening up. Labour's always traditionally had a, a rather, you know, a somewhat uh, tense relationship between the kind of middle-class intellectual supporters it's had and the more working-class ones. But one way or another, that, that uh, gap's been bridged. What now seems to be happening is that gap's widening out, and this is why the polls are going down, and this is why I think we're in a very dangerous position. I think it's um, it's very true that we've been focusing on the divisions in the Conservative Party, and my God, are they divided? But uh, in a way, that's cast into the shadows somewhat the real uh, conflict between these two groups of. Uh, voters for the Labour Party, and it's a, it's a very hard nut to crack, isn't it? It is a hard nut to crack, and I think, again, it's really important to get back to the electoral arithmetic on all this, which is, although Labour managed to get 41% of the uh, vote in the last election, which was much more than it had in the previous one, the number of extra seats this generated was almost nothing. And the reason for this is that so much of the extra vote just piled up majorities in safe Labour areas, but it leaves vulnerable loads of constituencies all over uh, the non-metropolitan area of the country where there are comparatively low Labour majorities. And this is why, actually, the Labour Party itself is quite divided on this issue. I mean, there are quite a lot of MPs who are really worried about uh, what their prospects are going to be at the next general election because they represent Leave constituencies, 70% nearly, of all the constituencies held by Labour had leave majorities. So you can begin to see how, how, how much tension there is in the party, really, around this whole EU issue. And bear in mind that the referendum and the outcome from it and the negotiations have been the main political topic of conversation for the last six months. Very difficult to conclude that the uh, way the Labour Party shifted on this issue has nothing to do with the loss of support. I think uh, many people are saying that Theresa May is one of the worst prime ministers we've ever had, and yet at the same time, Labour seems to be handing her this, this almost this life support system, this, this um, gift by uh, effectively leaving a wide open space in those northern constituencies where the Tories can do better um, if Labour creates a vacuum as far as uh, people who voted leave and want us to leave the European Union. Well, absolutely. And we had uh, an extraordinary situation in the last uh, general election where the Tories took a seat that Labour had held for donkey's years, Stoke South. We failed to take back Copeland. Uh, and while, of course, the Tories didn't have that huge gain that they were expecting, the change that happened in that election was quite significant in that you had these small town, small Labour towns that had been Labour, as I say, since time began, uh, falling to the Conservative Party. And I think we are seeing now, as I outlined earlier, on in the, the change in the uh, social democratic voting of the poorest and the working class voters in this country, Labour is at risk of not just losing 
them but losing them forever because uh, I think if you don't identify uh, with the, the vote you're meant to represent the, the clue is in the title Labour it's for the workers for the people um, if we don't have those communities and they don't look to us as their party and we've not embedded in those communities and if we are starting to look more metropolitan and as John has said far more middle class young and internationalist they won't relate to us and they won't support us and it's quite right building up huge majorities in London and in Liverpool and in other parts of the country like us fantastic but when we're losing those towns that have always returned Labour MPs we've really got to take a close look at ourselves and say well hang on a minute what are we doing wrong because it's not the voters the voters are never wrong uh, we're clearly doing something wrong it's almost as if there was um, a sort of SDP social democratic party faction building within the modern Labour Party and that's creating a, a great space as it were for for, for some other uh, movement or some other political party to to walk in and, and take those votes, isn't it? Well, I, I, I think our, our electoral system and uh, our constituency system makes it very, very difficult for any party to emerge. But there certainly at the moment is a huge gap in British politics. Uh, you have got on the right of the Conservative Party very much a libertarian, free market, uh, you know, re deregulate the world uh, type approach. And then you've now got the Labour Party, which is taking much more of a socialist uh, standpoint. Um, and both actually are not necessarily what working class communities want and still in this country working class voters do make up the majority of the vote but you've got these two wings uh, of, of our political divide on the, the left of the Labour Party and on the right of the Conservative Party uh, appealing very much to uh, small groups the gap in British politics is the moment is a party of the working class that's patriotic orientated towards British industry British manufacturing welcoming of uh, people from the other parts of the world to this country but a party that puts Britain first uh, and I know that's a terrible phrase but actually if you go out into working class communities that's the language they're talking John do you think there is an answer to this conundrum do you think that the Labour Party should be sticking closer to its election manifesto commitment of last year which was made pretty pretty clear I think that um, the UK should respect the referendum, should leave the single market, should leave the customs union. Um, and that was uh, pretty explicit, I think, to, to most people. Do you, do you think that that is um, something that Labour needs to go back to? Well, I'd like to see it doing so, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. And I think to some extent what's happened is the past has been uh, lost. What we really ought to have done, I think, would be to start off by trying to negotiate a Canadian type deal uh, and come out of the single market, come out of the customs union, negotiate a free trade deal with the uh, EU. And I think that would have given uh, us pretty well all that the Leave voters wanted, but also left a pretty satisfactory position on, on the whole for Remain voters. That's not the way things went. Uh, rightly or wrongly, we, I think wrongly, we agreed at the beginning to discuss Northern Ireland and, and patri uh, citizenship and money before trade. And this, I think, handed a whole load of cards to the EU because they could demand this and demand that before we started talking to the uh, trade discussions. Then we had the general election, which uh, shifted the uh, opinion in the House of Commons very much away from uh, a, a sort of clean Brexit. And once you get to a position where you've got nowhere to walk away from uh, or to, you, you're in a situation where 
you become a, a, a taker of whatever the EU wants. I think we've drifted into that position. And then when you have the House of Lords and some of the people in the House of Commons behaving the way they are, which again just weakens and weakens and weakens the EU, the UK's uh, negotiating position, you can see how we've managed to drift into the position we're in uh, at the moment. Um, so I, I mean, I think actually for the Labour Party at the moment, it's quite difficult to see exactly what the best way ahead is. I think the Labour Party itself is very split. Um, if we do finish up by the government being offered a very poor deal, which I think is likely to happen, exactly how Labour's going to deal with this in the House of Commons, I don't know. I mean, it's easy to vote down a, a poor deal and say, well, we would have done very much better. But, you know, how much better would they have done? What would they have done to have achieved that? And it's not at all clear to me, you know, starting from where we are now, how we're going to retrieve the situation and move back to a, an outcome which is going to be reasonably satisfactory. Mm. I agree, and I think the, the other key error that Labour has made uh, in these negotiations is, although we've, we're, they're calling at the moment for us to listen to party members and have a people's vote, we are not listening to the Leave majorities in the 70% of Labour constituencies. And uh, we, we're told by uh, some Remain people within the Labour Party, well, OK, our constituency voted Leave, but the majority of uh, Labour voters in the constituency voted Remain. Well, if you go to some of those constituencies, particularly up in the North East, if a majority of those voters that voted Leave were not Labour, we have got a massive electoral problem because all those voters should be Labour. Uh, the majorities were so big, and if they weren't at least half Labour, then we have a problem. So I don't accept this notion that, you know, every Labour voter voted by majority to, to, leave, to stay in the European Union. They didn't. Uh, we went round the country during the referendum, and we have done so since. And even with constituency Labour parties, there were majorities for leave. So we need to listen to those voters, not just our middle-class, intellectual, young membership. They are 500,000 people in a country of 60 million um, the majority of people in the country are not internationalist remain young people in the Labour Party the majority are leavers and they're the ones who we should be listening to exactly and going back to the Brexit referendum in 2016 um, speaking as someone who campaigned for vote leave even in quite Tory areas in leafy Wiltshire where one of the counties that I campaigned in if you go to some of, or you went to some of the housing estates and the less affluent parts of those constituencies, which were already Tory, and you speak to, to Labour voters, they were very largely leave. Mm. Um, so it is um, very much a, a case of um, people being angry and people wanting to affect change. And uh, as far as the last year's general election was concerned, believing that Labour could bring about that change. Now, where do those people go? if Labour now seems to be rowing back uh, and taking the establishment, complete establishment line. Well, what's, what's quite extraordinary is if you examine the Labour manifesto in 2017, which was one of our most successful manifestos in many, many years, uh, we went up by a couple of million, I think we've got the highest vote share since Blair was uh, leader. Um, it was a hard Brexit manifesto. If you go to the section on the European Union, it said uh, Labour accepts the outcome of the referendum. It said fr very explicitly, freedom of movement will end. The only way you can end freedom of movement is if you leave the single market. So that 
was implicit in that statement. And of course, there's no point in being in the customs union if you're not in the single market. So it was a hard Brexit manifesto and we got enormous support for it. The Tories uh, fought the general election also on a hard Brexit manifesto and the combined vote uh, was 80% of the people in this country who voted in 2017 supported Brexit. And so this notion that the Labour Party rallied young Remain people to it is utter nonsense. If they read the manifesto, listened to what Jeremy Corbyn said uh, in the general election, uh, they'd realise that Labour isn't actually a Remain party, it is a Leave party, uh, according to last year's manifesto. And it also shot UKIP's fox pretty heavily, didn't it? So you had about half the former UKIP voters peeling off to the Tories and the other half peeling off to Labour because they believed that uh, they could come back to Labour because Labour was now going to honour the uh, results of the referendum. Well, the only thing is I'm not sure it was half and half. Figures I've seen suggested about two-thirds went to the Conservatives and one-third went to Labour. Mm. <coughs> and I think this points in a rather un uncomfortable direction, which is actually what's happening at the moment, is that in many ways it's the Conservatives who are appealing more strongly to the C2s, Ds and E voters than Labour is. And this, of course, was reflected in the figures that Brendan mentioned earlier on, with this, there's been this big reversal of support among working-class people uh, away from Labour to the Conservatives over the last six months. And, uh, again, I think it's very difficult to conclude that this has nothing to do with Brexit because this has been the main topic of political conversation for the last six months. Absolutely. The, the only major policy change on Labour's side has been the softening of the position yeah. on, on uh, uh, leaving the European Union, of course, um, uh, effectively saying we'll stay in the customs union. That's exactly right. And this is why, uh, you know, I think the developments we're seeing at the moment and this shift in support towards the Conservatives is very worrying, particularly if what's really happening is that the Conservatives are sort of stealing the Labour Party's clothes in a lot of these areas. Uh, and, uh, you know, clearly what's happening is that people are becoming much less class-orientated in the way they vote, much more identity-orientated. And I think it's absolutely clear that a large number of Labour's traditional supporters identify with a Leave position, which the Labour Party really represents less and less. This is the problem. The problem is, as well, that it's very hard to see that from the perspective of sitting in London, where there is a, a, a large majority... Um, for for Remain still, and a great uh, opposition to the idea of leaving the EU, and you can see EU flags flying all around the place. Um, and, and obviously the, uh, the, the centre, the epicentre of British politics are, are in London, uh, along with the establishment, the political establishment, and it's a very different world to Huddersfield or Carlisle. Um, and I think that um, many people at the uh, centre of the Labour Party, forget this, they are too London-centric and there is a big uh, London versus the, the rest of the country opposition now. I mean, maybe you could include Oxford and Cambridge and Bristol and Bath possibly as um, being part of the London axis, but you're almost having a kind of bipolar um, England, certainly, where um, there are two competing uh, interest groups and one is basically leave and one is basically remain and Labour is kind of caught right in the middle of it, isn't it? Well, uh, just to go back a little bit, when we were campaigning to get a referendum, then when we got the referendum, we wrote countless articles, countless speeches and interviews where we outlined this to be the case, that the Labour Party's two very distinct parties and its support base is very split down the middle. Um, as has been highlighted, 
they uh, London orientated internationalist sort of young vote we piled up huge majorities here uh, but in the north and in the Midlands in particular I think we're seeing now a growing number of Labour MPs who are actually starting to realise that if we're going to hold their seats and if we're going to continue to be the party of Labour we must start listening to those working class voters. Uh, Caroline Flint is doing a fantastic job uh, in the House of Commons um, and is really leading the way uh, on trying to get the Labour Party to realise that immigration for example is a huge concern to working class communities. The fact that we're not training and skilling enough of our own people uh, to become doctors and GPs and consultants and all the rest of it is a huge problem. Uh, Social mobility has collapsed and because we've drained our economy uh, with a load of cheap labour, which satisfies big business and satisfies uh, the needs of the establishment. The CBI. Exactly, the CBI, those people that have got everything wrong uh, since the gold standard, uh, and they are now um, reaping the rewards. But I do think um, you're seeing a lot of MPs now starting to realise this and actually say we do need to listen to these people we're meant to be the party of Labour and that perhaps for too long uh, London has been far too dominant in the Labour Party's politic All of this is absolutely true but it's been out of the spotlight, it's almost been under the radar because of the huge problems that the Conservative Party is currently going through uh, and to see the contortions um, that the, uh, the government had to go through to get the EU withdrawal bill Um, through uh, was quite a spectacle I think wasn't it so we now find ourselves uh, just uh, about to find out the government's position or it may be possibly get some more clarity on it at least as Theresa May has her uh, uh, cabinet uh, extended elongated cabinet session at Chequers where we may see we hope uh, some kind of uh, clarification on the government's position. John, uh, do you have any expectations for that? Well, I mean, there have been some uh, trailers in the paper in the last day or so as to what might be happening, and I must say the trends don't look to me like being in the right direction. It seems to me that what's going to be recommended is going to be uh, pretty well uh, Britain staying in the single market and the customs union, possibly with some sort of transition period that's supposed to be terminated at a particular point where further changes will be made. But I think one of the real dangers in this whole situation is that we finish up with provisional arrangements which in the end just last forever. And if you take what's happened in Norway, for example, Norway decided in 1972 not to join the European Union, or the EEC's it was in those days, and now 46 years later they're still in some sort of provisional arrangement which is <laughs> essentially the European economic area, uh, and uh, all this time has passed. And they've actually, for Norway, I mean, they're dead against being in the EU. They think it's not a good outcome at all. But, you know, the difficulty about changing anything once it's become really firmly established is enormous. And uh, I think the danger is that what's going to happen as a result of the uh, compromise that may be reached at Chequers is we finish up nominally outside the European Union, but inside the customs union effectively and the single market, and we just stay there more or less indefinitely. And, you know, for the fifth or sixth largest economy in the world to be in a situation where a large proportion of our commercial and economic decisions are taken by uh, an outside power which hasn't by any means necessarily got our interests at heart is an amazingly daunting prospect and one which I'm certain is not going to satisfy people in this country indefinitely. You're going to have Euroscepticism continuing more or less indefinitely in the future. And it's a really unsettled outcome, which is not what I think we ought to have had. If we'd gone for the uh, deal with the, uh, with the 
Canadian type uh, arrangement, I think this might have settled the whole European issue for the UK in a way which would have been reasonably satisfactory for everybody except for the sort of really extreme camp. But I don't think this is going to happen now. The irony is, is that those who wish us to remain in the European Union won't be happy either. Mm. So uh, we'll have two sides, as it were, unhappy about the arrangements rather than just one. And also a feeling a great betrayal narrative, uh, uh, you know, the, the idea that the government, the political class in general, hasn't honoured the Brexit vote and the Brexit referendum where the Leave side clearly campaigned to leave the single market, to leave the customs union, to make our own free trade deals and act as a, as a totally autonomous independent agent on the world stage. I mean, nobody ever said we wouldn't trade with Europe. Nobody ever said we would not be f great friends and partners with Europe. But there was a basic um, proposition put to voters, a, a winning proposition, that we would be an independent and autonomous country once again. That's right. And uh, if I could just jump back very quickly to the, the trading arrangements. Uh, there was a vote in the House of Commons a few weeks ago on a sort of Canada-style uh, trade, trade arrangement between the European Union and Canada. And uh, Labour ordered its MPs to abstain on that vote. Uh, but at the same time, Labour policy is to remain in a customs union. Now, we will not be able to strike our own trade deals if we remain in a customs union, but we would then have to be subject to that trade deal that the European Union uh, was negotiating, which was anti-worker, uh, pro-corporation. Uh, Labour didn't like that, but we couldn't vote for it, and if we stay in the customs union, we won't be able to change it. So I think that policy needs to be revisited. But coming back to your general point on the current state of the negotiations, I don't think anybody is satisfied at the moment. And I think, again, part of the problem for this is the lack of preparation by the then uh, Prime Minister David Cameron and his government. He didn't allow the civil service to prepare for the possibility of Brexit because it was inconceivable uh, that it would happen, but then it did. And, uh, frankly, you've got a Prime Minister in Theresa May, and I think you're right, she's probably the worst Prime Minister in modern times, uh, can't make a decision on anything... Um, she does support Remain, although she was very quiet during the referendum. She's not committed to it. Uh, you've got a government that, where, unfortunately, a lot of the senior Brexiteers are jostling for their own position and not necessarily focused on the objective of securing a good deal. Absolutely. A very uh, career safe, I think, it, some of them. Exactly, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's highly questionable as to whether one of those Brexiteers in particular actually supported it anyway, you know, more of a career opportunity. So I think we all know who I'm referring to. Um, but it's not good uh, that the Parliament and government are sort of of stuck in this way, uh, frankly, Parliament needs to remember the people voted to leave the European Union by a majority, and if they don't implement it, well, I think at the next election they might wish they had. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Brendan Chilton and John Mills. Goodbye. Goodbye.